Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Old Testament book of Genesis. If you would like to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you, it is found on page 22. Genesis 9, excuse me, Genesis 29, 10 through 19. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at that time. I was telling Carl Dyer this morning how much I love to preach the Old Testament stories. You know, every Sunday we come in here and hold up one passage of Scripture together and uh, ask each other what claim this has on our lives. But the stories of the Hebrew Scripture have, a, uh, have an arc to them, they, uh, a start, a middle, a finish, that's hard to just pull out a passage and, and preach it well, I think. So I've taken a little pastoral privilege 
to preach the stories of Jacob as a series of six so that we don't miss the warp and the woof of it by just taking out a single passage. This is week two in that series, and you'll remember that last week what we learned is that our hero Jacob is actually a sneak and a cheat. At least in the early episodes, right, he's uh, named trickster by his mama, so he didn't have much of a chance, I don't guess, and he is living into it last week and this week too. Another thing I want to do in this series, though, is kind of bridge the story. If I preached every episode from the life of Jacob, we'd be preaching Jacob at Christmas, and y'all would be angry with me. So, we're looking at episodes, but I want to I kind of fill in the narrative in between so that we do get to follow and see the story. We were in chapter 25 last week when uh, Jacob was born. We're in 28 this week, so let me catch us up between last week and this week. There's been a famine The Lord speaks to Jacob's father, Isaac, tells him not to go to Egypt, but to settle in Gerar, in what is today south-central Israel. So Isaac moves his family to Gerar. He gets involved in business ventures there, and he is extraordinarily successful, making all kind of money, making a big name for himself in the community, and he becomes so successful that he becomes a threat to the ruler Abimelech. The town's only big enough for one sheriff, and Abimelech tells him it's time for him to pack up and move the family somewhere else. So, under the prayer and guidance, Isaac settles the family in Beersheba, which is about 72 miles uh, south of modern Tel Aviv. But there in Beersheba, he starts to show his age. Things are slowing down. He needs one of the boys to help get him up out of the chair. His eyes are starting to fail. Uh, There is no Pearl Vision Center. When your eyes start to fail in that time, you just go blind. And time has passed, and he's bedbound. And he recognizes that this is the time of life when you pass on the ritual of passing on the ancestral blessing. Abraham had passed on the ancestral blessing to him. It's now his turn to pass it on to Isaac, his oldest son. The blessing of fertility and dominion, a blessing that carries power, that determines destiny. And Isaac is the older. Isaac is his favorite It's time to pass it on. He has this conversation with Isaac, but Rachel overhears. And you remember that Rachel also has a favorite son, and her favorite is Jacob. So she pulls Jacob aside, and they start conniving how it is they might trick Jacob's father. Here's how the scheme goes. He's gone blind. The rituals are going to play themselves out in this slow drama. So perhaps in disguise, Jacob might slide in and get the blessing himself. So he goes a few days with no shower, get that musky outdoor scent going on him. 
He puts animal skins on his forearms so that they'll appear hairy and uh, he'll appear a little more macho. Part of this is he also refills uh, daddy's wine glass a few extra times. So when it comes that time, he, Jacob, sneaks into the room, not Esau, gets up close to daddy who smells the outdoor on him. Daddy reaches over and grabs his forearm and it's hairy like Esau's and he assumes that's who it is. And he transmits the ancestral blessing to Jacob and not Esau. Well, like toothpaste squeezed from a tube, you can't put words back. Jacob is the inheritor of the blessing, which is good news for Jacob. His brother is ready to kill him, which is bad news for Jacob. This turns out to be a both-and kind of day for the boy. His big, brawny brother is seriously ready to chase him down and kill him. Well, Rachel realizes the seriousness of what's going on. That Esau really is serious about uh, coming through with this threat. And Rachel sits Jacob down and says, your only chance is to get out of here, to flee. My recommendation is that you flee to Haran. I've got a brother who lives there. Once you get there, ask for him. His name is Laban. Laban, you get to him. Maybe he'll take you in. Maybe he'll see your plight. But you've got to get out of here. Jacob grabs a toothbrush, his best sandals, and he is gone out into the day because he's got to make tracks and get away from his brother. Well, he's alone for the first time. And the only people who travel alone are bandits because the wilderness is too dangerous for people to not travel in packs. And Jacob is running alone. He's fueled by fear. He's out there facing it all on his own. He's at the end of his rope. And so we get to today's story finally. It's nightfall. That adrenaline rush that had been fueling him all day has now subsided. Jacob's exhausted. And he finds a level uh, stretching out place in the area called Luce. He finds a large stone big enough uh, to, for him to use for a pillow, and he puts that under his head, falls fast asleep. And that's when he has the dream. He has the dream of a ladder, or, or some commentators insist that the word is a ramp that goes from earth all the way to heaven, from heaven all the way back to earth. And this Uh, ramp or ladder has some traffic on it. There are angels coming from heaven down to earth. There are angels on earth headed back up to heaven. But none of the angels speak to Jacob in this dream. Only God speaks to Jacob. And God speaks by restating the promise he had given to his grandfather Abraham. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Jacob, of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and so on and so on. But then, 
God adds a new blessing. Know that I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Jacob awakes with a new sense of vocation and purpose. He knows that God is going to be with him no matter what he has done in the past, and he's going to be with him all the days of the future. Well, those of us with a high sense of justice and fairness might not love this story so much. I mean, Jacob is a swindler, a cheat, and God does not appear in judgment, but in blessing. What in the world has this mama's boy done to deserve the blessing of God? Besides, he hadn't even asked for it. He's on the run. I'm asking for it all the time. I keep asking and praying and hoping and waiting for some touch, some visitation of the Holy One that will reinvigorate my life and ministry and preaching. Some divine visit, some peek behind the holy curtain, some wink from beyond, some reminder of God's real presence right here. I'm not getting dreams of angels. How is it that this serial cheat who's running from the consequences of his last scam gets a visit from the God of his ancestors? He at least recognizes the holiness of this visit from the voice of God because he takes that rock that he'd been using as a pillow and he sets it as a pillar And he pours oil on it to consecrate it that God has transformed an ordinary stone and God has transformed an ordinary place. The place where he had stopped for the night had been called Luce, but he changed the name of this place to Bethel. Beth, which means house. El, which means God. Bethel is the house of God. And every time Jacob speaks of this moment, any other time in Scripture, Jacob never refers to it as a dream. Jacob only refers to this moment as the time when God showed up in his life. Well, what are we to make of this? Well, maybe as preacher Lewis Patrick suggests, maybe God is after astonishment more than goodness. I don't know. Could that be? Could it be that God really does want us to rekindle some sense of being wowed, some sense of astonishment? Have you and I, in our refinement, lost the capacity to dream In our defense, you and I don't have that much time to dream, do we? I mean, only saints and children have time for dreams, have time to operate in that place of wonder, see the angels who walk on ramps. 
Because you and I are lending and fixing and managing and studying and accumulating and all. You and I are busy. Let me read you a short poem. It's a silly poem. It it has no scientific merit at all. My, My grandchildren would like this poem, I think, but they're not as educated and mature as you and I are. You you might just think it's silly, but let's hear it. One day, I went walking and I found a magic glass, a magic-looking glass. A stagnant pond, said Cass. One day, I went walking and I found a dress, a princess fairy dress. A fallen leaf, said Tess. One day I went walking and I found a brownie's shoe, a brownie's buckle shoe, a dried pea pod, said Sue. The next time I go walking, I'm going to go by myself, unless, unless I meet an elf, a funny, friendly elf. Wouldn't you love to have that back? Wouldn't you love to be able to taste again the wonder, the capacity to dream? Don't give up yet. Don't give up yet. Whether we've lost the capacity to dream or not, we have not lost the capacity to remember. If there is a story a place where you have encountered God, you will never forget that place. Do you have a Bethel in your own life? Do you remember the place where God showed up to you in the most real way you have ever experienced God? If so, go there for a minute and walk around. Remember what it looked like and what it smelled like. Most of us don't talk of that place. We fear that it might sound silly, like saying we had met a friendly, funny elf. But you know better. If God has ever broken through in your life and you have a Bethel place then the memory will hold you and it will make you more attentive to God's presence that always is, whether we are reaching it and seeing it or not. Because here's the sad truth. We know that God is always present, but we have lost the capacity to dream We've dulled, we've made so much blah and ordinary that we've stopped looking for the places where God's showing up. We've traded the wow of wonder and mystery for the uh, of what we know and what we understand and what we can put in our billfold. But some of us have had the ordinary interrupted 
seen, touched God's holy presence with what Thomas Merton calls a breakthrough to the already. I mentioned that Jacob doesn't deserve any of this. He doesn't deserve this breakthrough of awe and wonder that is already present. He's a young swindler and fugitive. But maybe, but maybe we're all more open to the mystery when we run out of what we can do for ourselves. Maybe we get to see the angels walk the ladder only when we have just given up on our own self-sufficiency to make the world right. I've been texting a friend this week, assuring her of my prayers. She is walking a terribly difficult stretch of the road right now. And she sent me this text back this week, which I have permission to share. I am so grateful for prayers. It is nothing short of amazing that even though this is the most difficult thing I have ever been through, I have an underlying sense of peace. And I responded that the chaos has likely given her eyes to see, eyes to see the presence of God that is always nearby. When desperate, when you spent all you've got to spend, when you trust the presence and favor of God, it flows in greater supply. Like Jacob, some of us receive the gift of that awareness in the middle of our pain because our usual coping, our usual defenses have run out. So, if you're at the end of your rope, if you've exhausted everything you've got to give, look prayerfully and closely nearby For the angel sightings might be closer than you think if you're at the end of your rope. And pray for wonder. Pray to dream again. Pray to see angels on the ladder. Pray for astonishment. Don't we all need to be astonished again by the power of God that is right as close as breath? And while you're waiting for the new experience of God's holy presence, remember, remember your place of Bethel. Remember the time when God was most real to you and hold on to the truth of it until God and God's reappearing envelops you again. Amen. If you're at the end of your rope and you've never said yes to the Christ who loves you, to the God who promises I am with you and I will keep you, then I assure you today is the day to step forward and make that claim and experience that enveloping love we talk about in this place. 
If today's the day for you to join your life with our lives, your uh, messed up, unbroken self with our messed up selves, trying to figure out God's hope for us, we would love to have you join and be part of the journey with us. There may be something God's urging in you that's completely off script. But whatever it is, I hope you're listening. I hope you're hearing the voice of God when it comes and that you'll have courage to say yes. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.